Jesus Help My Unbelief, spoken by Pastor Peter on. Great to see you all here on this Sunday. Uh, we know we come here because it's the most important day uh, in the Christian calendar, Easter. We celebrate this time because no matter what we go through in life, we're always reminded that God is in the business of breathing new life into things that look like death. So let's give it up for Jesus for that one, right? Uh, but we're also here to celebrate our 17th year anniversary, and it's a momentous occasion for us. Sometimes we kind of downplay it, but I'm just grateful to see kind of where we've been. 17 years ago, on April 4th, 2004, we launched this church. It was at the Fort, Fort Lee Athletic Club. It was a tiny little church of a small group of people, but we believed that God could do something, and I never would have really imagined that in 17 years we'd be where we are today. Uh, there are things that God has just blown me away on, things that I've learned and I've grown, and there was no way this young man 17 years ago was fully able to comprehend and understand the kind of church that God wanted to create uh, 17 years later, but there's still a long way to go, and I'm just grateful. But I want to recognize a few people, of the people that have been with us literally from day one, people who've been with us even before the church even started and launched. And the first person I want to recognize is my brother-in-law. His name is Juan Huh. And uh, he watched in the first service, so he sent me a text message saying that he loved me. But I just want to recognize him because when we were a group of 11 people and we got together weekly at a, an apartment in Hackensack, uh, he wasn't even a Christian. He just said to me, he said, listen, I just feel so bad for you. Your church is so small. I will come and attend it until it gets to 50. Once it gets to 50, I don't even believe in God, so I'm out of here, okay? And uh, he said that to me, and I said, hey, I appreciate it. I really do. And uh, he's never left the church. In fact, he gave his life to Jesus here. I was able to baptize him many years ago. And he met his lovely wife, Anna Hong, here at this church. So it's worked out well for him, I think. So I want to thank my brother-in-law, one. I also want to thank uh, Mike and Lisa Hong. I don't know if you're here, I don't know if you're watching, but they came to the very first service on April 4th of 2004, and they've been a part of our church, they've been members of our church ever since, and we're so grateful for, uh, for them and the family and how God's expanded their family over the years. Anthony Coppola, my high school buddy, I tapped him on the shoulder and I said, Anthony, would you mind maybe coming to our church uh, for preview services? I know you have some acting skills, we'd love for you to act and, and do some drama and things like that, and he decided to, and he's been a part of our church ever since. Margaret Chan, if you're watching, if you're here, thank you. You've been a part of our church for 17 years, and I'm just so grateful that you have been a part of our family since then. Christine Lee, you were part of our church since preview service. And so thank you for being a part of our church and continuing to serve. But there is this one person uh, that served alongside of me even before we started Metro Community Church, 18 months before we started she used to get together with a small group of people, and they used to pray for you, for Metro Community Church, 18 months before we even launched. Every Wednesday, they would do it. And since then, she's been on our staff. She was unpaid staff for many years, and then she joined us uh, on paid staff and children's pastor now. She's our special needs pastor. I couldn't be where we are today. This church would not be where we are today if it wasn't for Pastor Shirley Yu. Let's give it up for Pastor Shirley Yu. I don't know where she is. Oh, she's probably out there. Give it up for Shirley Shirley has been a tremendous, there she is, there she is. Get up, Pastor Shirley. 
And uh, there's some people that have been a part of us for over 15 years, and they were here for the first service. Paul and Lisa Ra, they've been a part of us, and Paul served as an elder many years ago. Currently, Lisa is the president of our elder board right now, and so I'm just so grateful to them. Sean Lee, if you're watching or if you're here, I still remember you coming into the Jewish Community Center, and you've been a partner and been a great member ever since. And you met your wife here at Metro, Julie. And uh, God's blessed you and your family. And I can't forget uh, my sister-in-law, Michelle, who's back there, and her husband, Wesley, who were a part of our church for over a decade and a half. So much has happened. But I'm here to also recognize somebody else. I just, I, this church wouldn't be here if it wasn't for this person. In fact, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for this person. I do have to recognize her because she has been my greatest supporter in everything. She's been with me through my ups and downs, through all the different things. And I know that no matter what, she'll always be by my side, helping me in every way. And that's my wife, Jenny. Can you stand up? Come on, honey, stand I know you're short, but stand up. There you go. There you go. Thank you, honey, for everything. And so it's a, a real joyous occasion today when I think about 17 years, and we're not too far away from 20, two decades. I can't even believe it. And I'm just grateful for what God's done. And this year has been a, a real tumultuous year for many of us, hasn't it? It's been a challenge for all of us. And sometimes as we go through sort of these ebbs and flow of life, and nobody ever anticipated or predicted COVID to come into the world the way it has, and how it's forced us to sort of change our lives so drastically. And... Perhaps maybe as you've gone through that, you have really struggled in life. That you've struggled because there are some things that you cannot wrap your mind around and they've sort of become scandalous because you cannot reconcile that with the loving God. I've heard this rhetoric many times from people. They say, I cannot believe in a God who says he loves us when he allows COVID to exist. When millions of people have died because of this virus. I cannot believe that there's a God who loves us because of this virus. And I know maybe some of you watching and some of you here today, you might have lost loved ones during this season. Our hearts go out to you. They truly do break for you. And we're, we're sad and we are mourning with you, alongside of you through this season of your life. Some of us are struggling because of that. Some of us are struggling so much because of the divisions that we continue to see within people here in America. Racism, ra the lack of racial justice. And we sort of get really discouraged because of the silence of the white evangelical church. And some of us are like, you know what, I'm done. I'm done with church. I'm done with faith. I'm done with God because how could they stay silent? Since March of last year, Asian crime, Asian violence has increased by 2,000%. 2,000% in one year. In one year. And I think for Asian folks, this has been sort of a rude awakening and maybe an incredibly discouraging time because it's bothering us that churches today are completely silent about this. Black and brown people have known the church to be silent about this kind of stuff for centuries. And it's discouraging you. And maybe the scandalous nature of the silence of the church today is causing you to lose a little bit of faith in God. Maybe your marriage is broken you know, during this pandemic, they're saying that marriages are tested more so than ever. Domestic violence is up, fighting, divorce, all that stuff because of this pandemic. You were forced to be with your spouse for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And when you used to go to work at least eight hours a day, it kind of mixed things up. But now that you're home together every day, there are issues that have been growing that you never even thought really existed. 
and you're hurting and you're struggling. And it was so odd because you guys used to believe in Jesus and when you were dating, you were courting each other, you were praying every day together, you were reading books together, you were writing Bible studies together, you were doing all these great spiritual things. And then when you got married, all of a sudden your faith just went out the window. And maybe you're losing your faith in God because of the scandalous nature of your relationship with your spouse is causing you to lose a little bit of faith. Children, has it been difficult? Has it been hard at home because mom and dad keep fighting all the time? Or maybe you're a child and your parents are currently maybe going through a divorce. And it's hard. It's hard. I know what that's like. My father and mother, I mean, after my father started going to church, he stopped drinking. So he wasn't physically abusive. But when he went to church, he, he would still, he would put on a, a very happy spiritual smile. He was an elder of the church. My mother was a deacon. They just played this part at church. But when they came home, Love was so anemic in their relationship. They kept fighting and fighting and yelling at each other, blaming each other for everything, things that didn't even make sense. Are you scared? Are you struggling because of how hard it is right now, because of the scandalous nature of your parents? Maybe it's causing you to lose faith in God today. Maybe you're struggling with that a bit. Single people, it's been hard, hasn't it? Being alone, isolated in your house for a year, hoping that, you know, maybe this would be different, that you can go out and meet some people, and as you get older, you're longing to want to be in a relationship with someone, and marriage gets bigger and bigger, and sometimes the church kind of makes us feel, makes you feel that if you're not married, something is wrong with you, and so right now you're in a place, in this stage in your life, wondering when is this going to ever happen to me, or is it ever going to happen to me again? Because maybe you've been through a rough divorce, but you long to have somebody that will love you the way you deserve to be loved. And maybe because it hasn't happened yet, And maybe for you, it's been discouraging. It's become a stumbling block for you to really believe in God. On this Easter Sunday, Jesus is going to take us on the road to Emmaus. And on this road, this is right when he resurrects from the dead, and he's with his two two disciples. They have no idea who he is. And here's what they were struggling with. They were struggling with the scandalous nature of the cross. So much so that they believe that Jesus is not the Messiah anymore. And I love what Jesus does because he enters this road with them. He takes a seven-mile journey with them. And through that journey, he helps them with their unbelief. And today, on this Easter Sunday, Jesus Christ is going to help you today with your unbelief. Whatever it might be, whatever scandalous thing, whatever stumbling block that might be causing you to not believe and have faith in Jesus Christ, he's going to teach you the way he taught these two, how we can believe in God again no matter how difficult the barrier or the stumbling block might look like in our lives. So if you have your Bibles, please, we're going to read a large portion of Scripture here. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 34. This is important to listen to. This is the Word of God. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. Just to kind of set this up, just know that the disciples are struggling. They're in this place where they just realize that for three years they have believed in the wrong person. They're hurt. They're sad. They cannot process what's going on. So they're talking about it as they're walking on this road. And then Jesus just kind of enters into it. All right, let's look at verse 13 of chapter 24 of Luke. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, 
You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death. And then they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures? Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writing of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus, and at the end of their journey, Jesus acted as if he were going on. But they begged him, stay the night with us, since it's getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly, their eyes were open and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked within us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and others who had gathered with them who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. This is the word of God. Can we just bow our heads for a moment of prayer? Lord, it's been a hard year. Lots have gone on. A lot of loss, a lot of pain for some of us. And Lord, I thank you that you don't just tell us to believe, but you enter into our unbelief to what you did with these two disciples. And so God, I pray right now that if there's anyone here, anyone watching that are struggling with their unbelief in you, I pray you would enter into their journey and I pray you would speak to them powerfully. May they have a wonderful, powerful, authentic, intimate encounter with you today. So I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room and those watching at home, I pray, God, that it would indeed be pleasing unto you. And it's in your name that we pray, Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Let me just kind of share with you a little bit about the scandalous nature of the cross. The, the reason why the disciples were struggling so much with, with this is because the cross was completely scandalous. For a first century Jewish person, if you were crucified on the cross, you know what that meant? That meant that you were cursed by God. It didn't mean anything else. I mean, we wear a cross, we see it as a very religious, spiritual symbol. But in the first century, when you saw the cross... You were cursed by God. If, if you were crucified on the cross, it meant that you were cursed by God. It didn't mean anything else. It didn't mean that God chose you to save the world. It meant that you were cursed by God. So when the disciples witnessed what happened to Jesus on the cross, when they heard that he had been crucified because the Messiah was supposed to come and destroy the Roman Empire and lead Israel back to power, when Jesus didn't do that, every single one of them realized that Jesus Christ is not the Messiah. And I want you to know that if you were alive during that time, if we were alive during that time, we would have all concluded the same thing. Nobody here would have said, but not me. I would have known he's the Messiah. No, you wouldn't. Because when people die on the cross, when they're crucified on the cross, it meant that they were cursed by God. It didn't mean that they are the Messiah. It meant that they were not. And that's simply what happened here. 
everyone fled because they didn't believe. This cross was so scandalous that it contributed to their unbelief. And that's why they were in the house hiding. They were afraid now that they might die. That the religious leaders might now go for them because they had rocked uh, back the wrong guy. The second scandalous nature of the cross was the resurrection. Jewish people didn't believe Jesus would resurrect before everyone else. Even the disciples. Resurrection, their theological understanding of the resurrection is that it would all happen together all at once. That everyone would resurrect together at the same time. That's Jewish theology. And that's what they believed. When Jesus was talking about the resurrection to the disciples because he was teaching it, they didn't think he was going to resurrect three days later. He just thought he was teaching them that one day we're all going to resurrect together, including me. So when Jesus died, they weren't like, ah, don't worry, he'll be back in three days. No. They knew they backed the wrong person, and that's why they hid. And that's why they uttered in verse 21, we had hoped he was the Messiah who had, to, who had come to rescue Israel, but he's not. Because the Messiah was the person who was to come and rescue Israel from their oppressors. Jesus did not do that. He died on the cross, and he was dead. And even if he was to resurrect, it would happen all together at once. That is what the disciples believed. And so as these two disciples, Cleopas and the other guy, was walking on the road to Emmaus, they were struggling with this. It was contributing to their unbelief. And Jesus comes alongside of them and helps them with it. And I believe today, if you're struggling with your unbelief, if there are some scandalous things that you have encountered, scandal basically means like a stumbling block, a barrier to you believing in Jesus. Jesus wants to help you and teach you. There's something that he wants to speak to you about. So how how is he going to do this? How did he do this with these two? And how will he do it with us today? The first thing is this. Jesus helps our unbelief when we believe that the scandal is where we will actually find God. See, a lot of times you look at a scandal or things that are like barriers to you to have faith in God. I want you to know sometimes people will say, well, you know what? I can. I don't believe in God because of this thing. Jesus is saying, if you want to really find me, you got to go to that thing that's becoming a barrier to you, and that's where you're going to find me at a deeper level. You see, the cross is actually the place where the disciples would have found Jesus Christ, but they fled, didn't they? Why did they, fle- why did they flee? Because of their lack of understanding. Their theological presuppositions presented them from embracing the cross and encountering the presence of Jesus there. And that happens to us all the time. Sometimes the greatest barrier to us growing in greater intimacy with God right now is our theological presuppositions, is the things that you have learned, the things that you have grown with. I'm not saying they're bad, but sometimes like the disciples, can't you realize that sometimes our theological presuppositions could prevent us from fully encountering God in a real, authentic, and powerful way? Because that's what happened with the disciples. Their theological understanding of what the Messiah is supposed to be and do was completely contrary when Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross. And so they couldn't believe and they walked away from that point on. And even when the women came and told them that Jesus had resurrected from the dead, they wouldn't believe them. Look at what they say in verse 9 of chapter 24. Look at what they say. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But look at verse 11. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. Why did it sound like nonsense? Because of their theological understanding of the resurrection, yes. But you know what the other scandalous thing was? They didn't believe God spoke to women. They didn't believe God revealed himself to women. 
that was scandalous that a woman came to testify. Do you know why the gospel message is so authentic and true? Because if it was fabricated, nobody would have used women to be the eyewitnesses to the resurrection. God reveals himself to anyone, not by your gender. He reveals himself to these women because why? These women, even though they carry the same understanding of the resurrection and the cross was scandalous, they had such a profound love and admiration for Jesus that they went to pay their respects at the tomb. Not like the guys who's like, we backed the wrong guy, let's just leave and flee and protect ourselves. These women came to show respect to Jesus Christ and as they did, Jesus revealed himself to all of them. Sometimes our theological understanding of things are the greatest barriers for us to encountering God. And so maybe your theological understanding of COVID right now has really become a barrier. And you're saying, I can. I cannot believe in a God who will allow people to die. And some of you have lost loved ones during this time, and it's horrible. Our heart goes out to you. But maybe your theological understanding of God is the barrier that's preventing you from encountering God there. Because Easter teaches us, guess what? We can find the resurrection power of Jesus even in COVID. That's what Easter teaches us that you and I can encounter that in a real powerful and authentic way. I know some of you are saying, you know what, I'm going to leave the church. I cannot stand the evangelical church because they don't care about racial justice. They don't speak out about it. They're silent, particularly the white evangelical church. They're so quiet about it. And some of you are just like, I'm done. I'm out of here. I don't like Christians anymore. Maybe your lack of understanding is preventing you from going deeper because I want, don't you think God wants you to understand the brokenness of people? Don't you think God wants you to understand the brokenness of all people, even Christians? And perhaps maybe our anger and our hate, which I do believe are warranted at some level, I don't know if it's really godly. Because God, because God would cause you to unite, not to divide. And you've never, listen, if you're not white, you don't know how hard it is to be white right now. You don't know what it feels like to be blamed for something that you had nothing to do with, that maybe your forefathers have done. When my wife attacks me and accuses me of something, and I don't believe I did anything, you know what I naturally do? I defend myself. That's a natural human reaction. And so what we see with maybe some of the white evangelicals today, maybe perhaps, Metro, maybe perhaps, they're just being defensive. Their silence is being defensive because they don't know how to do this. Maybe God would want you to understand that a little bit more. And be a bridge builder for the church. Continue to share your heart, your frustrations, but come alongside and speak in love. Speak in ways where we can bring greater unity. Maybe God wants us to do that. You see, the resurrection power of Easter allows us to encounter God in that way. And we can see racial injustice, even the silence of the church today, in a way where we can honor God through it and encounter his power. Right now, some of your marriages are really struggling. I can't begin to tell you what that might be like. I've lived in a home, my parents growing up, and I've seen a marriage struggle. And you're struggling because you guys were faithful Christians before you got married, and all of a sudden, a couple years down the road, all of a sudden, you guys, there is no God anymore in your marriage. I mean, you used to pray together when you were dating. You used to like write like Bible verses and like love letters and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, just out the window. And it's hard. And what they say right now is during this pandemic, domestic abuse has gone up. There's so much brokenness right now. And I'm here to tell you, on this Easter Sunday, 
what would the resurrection power of Jesus look like in your marriage? Do you believe that God could breathe life into it and he can restore your marriage right now? Pastor Mike talked about that last Sunday, the sanctity of it. Couldn't agree with him more, but I, I want to just park here for just a moment. I believe there's resurrection power in divorce as well. We don't encourage it, but we know that sometimes it must happen because if somebody is living in an oppressive, wounded state, they can't heal. They can't experience the love of God because the wounds are so deep. And for us to think as Christians, to just tell somebody to stay in a very broken, unhealthy, physically, emotionally, verbally abusive marriage every day of their lives, it's not the cross that God has called them to bear. It's just not. And my God, I know many divorced people who are living under the providence and power of God right now. God can restore anyone, can restore people as they get a divorce. God can restore. There is nothing that God is not about when it comes to him bringing new life into something that might look like death. Amen? And so can I just encourage some of you that are in this place where you're on the precipice, where you're like, I'm done. I want to encourage you. Can you just wrap yourself around just a few people in community that you trust, you trust your spiritual relationship with God, and just ask and say, hey, could you... Can you just come around me? Can I just seek some guidance and help? Don't try to figure this out by yourself. I wish, I wish my parents had people like that in their lives. They just live very secretively. And children, I know how hard it is right now because I've been there. I know how hard it is right now to be in a home where you're afraid of what's gonna happen to your mom and your dad. You're afraid that they might get a divorce or maybe they're in that process. There's a lot of fear, there's a lot of hurt. And I know right now you're disenchanted with God perhaps. And you're just like, I'm just going to go through the motions of Christianity and that's it. Listen, don't, don't do that. If I'm going to be honest with you today, my parents should have gotten a divorce while my mother was younger. My mother never experienced what it felt like to be loved by a man in her entire life. She couldn't speak the language. She didn't know how to support us. And so she just decided to stay with a man who was really abusive in so many ways. And we had to live with the residue of all that fear in the home as well. We had to live with that every day. But she just didn't have the means. And I wish she had a community of people she could rally around saying, well, you can be with us. We will help you. We will support you. Don't worry. Things would have been different. And so, children, I just want to encourage you right now. If it's hard at home, I know what that's like. Could I encourage you to reach out to Pastor IJ if you're a teenager? He would love to journey with you through this. Not that he would love to... But that's his calling. His calling is to walk with you because you can't do this by yourself. Call Pastor Steve, if that's your pastor, and say, Steve, I'm struggling right now. Teacher Na, Teacher Janet, we're here, or Pastor Ansi, she oversees the whole thing of youth ministry, children's ministry. We're here as a community. We don't want you, if you're a child, to be alone in this. You shouldn't. You shouldn't live in secrecy. You should rely upon some people to help and pray, you, pray with you and support you during this time. That's how you encounter the resurrection power of God during this season. That's how you encounter him and experience him in a beautiful way. Let me encourage you for that. And the single people, I just want to say you guys are perfect just the way you are. You don't need a man or a woman to complete your life. That's heresy. Now listen, marriage is good. Don't get me wrong. 
We should all aspire to do that if that's a desire that you have. But for, for you to think, and the church is guilty of this, for you to think that there's something incomplete about you, something that's wrong with you because you're single, and if that's the church and you feel like the church has kind of put that on you and you feel that, your parents, society, your ethnic culture, all of that stuff, I want you to know right now you are perfect just the way you are. Paul says, you know what? He says it's better to be single than to be married. And I just want you to know that on this Easter Sunday, encounter the resurrection power of God, knowing that you can have the fullness of life right now where you are in your singleness. Right now. Right now. Many married couples here will tell you, listen, when you get married, that's not true, complete life. So figure it out now. Know what God might have for you in this stage of your life. Be excited. Be excited to walk with God and be married to your bride, Jesus Christ. I love the story of Jonah. It's one of my favorite stories. So there's this big, you know the story. God says, hey, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and minister to the people there. Jonah's like, I ain't going there. That place is crazy. I ain't going to go minister to those people. And what does he do? Gets on his boat and he runs away. He's like, I ain't, mm, I'm getting away from that place as far as possible. And then what happens? A gigantic fish swallows him up. He's in the belly of that fish. It's stinky. It's dark. He doesn't know what's happening. He's probably thinking he might die now. He's probably thinking, God is punishing me from running away. All of that thing. And you look at that story as you're reading it, you're thinking, oh, God, please save him from that big fish. Please, God, save him from that big fish. God, please deliver. You're thinking Jonah is in the belly of that whale, and he's praying every day. Oh, God, please save me from this big fish. It stinks in here. It's dark. I'm scared. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's going to happen to me. You think that Jonah needs to be saved from the fish, but I'm here to tell you that God sent that fish to save Jonah. It was that fish that saved him. If it wasn't for that fish, guess what? Jonah would have just went away. But because he got eaten by that, by that fish and he finally spit him out, what did Jonah do after that? He went to Nineveh and God used him powerfully. And so sometimes you look at the fishes in your life. You feel like you've been swallowed up by, by every single one of them. And you think that you need to be saved from them. But I want you to know the fish probably is the thing that's going to end up saving you. If you want your faith to grow deep in God during a tumultuous time, a scandalous time in your life right now, I want you to know it's the scandalous thing that's going to lead you to the cross. It's the scandalous thing that's going to help you go deeper in your faith in Jesus Christ right now. That's what Easter is about. You can't have a resurrection unless there's a death. So I know it's hard. I know there are things. I know this year has been excruciating. Stop living your life with guilt. Stop living your life thinking that God doesn't love you. Oh, he does. And encounter him in a way, no matter what it takes, because the sacrifice that you decide to make will only reap tremendous benefits as you do. You can encounter God through whatever scandalous thing that you might be going through today. That's where you find him, and that's where your faith goes. That's the first thing. That's what Jesus was doing. He was taking him back to the scriptures. He's like, don't you know? Don't you know what was supposed to happen to me? He took him and he showed him. So Jesus is saying to you, go to wherever you're struggling with, the scandal, the barrier, and know that you're going to find him there. That's where your faith will grow. Second thing that Jesus does to help our unbelief, just as important, is when we pursue intimacy with him by being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. When you and I pursue intimacy with him by being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to read verse 28. Look at verse 28. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on. 
But they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them as they sat down to eat. He took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were open and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. They didn't recognize who Jesus was the entire time. They had no idea who he was. And then they sit at the table. And you need to understand, in Jewish culture, when you eat with somebody, that's a, that's a time of intimacy with them. You only associate with people that you loved and cared for. In fact, in the first century, you are who you ate with. And so they took that very seriously. So as they sat with him in just a meal, and once he broke the bread, they recognized that, because Jesus did that a lot of times. He did that when he fed the 5,000, remember, with just a few loaves and fish? And he did it at the Last Supper. Once he did, their eyes opened up, and they saw the Messiah has risen from the dead. You and I can experience intimacy from God even in the most basic forms of life. Sometimes we think that we can only experience God when we go to, like, to a prayer mountain or a monastery. I do all those things, by the way. But I think what Easter teaches us and what the story teaches us is that we can encounter Jesus even in the very basic moments of life. Today, right here, when you go home, maybe when you have a meal, whatever, when you go to work, when you ride the bus to go to work, you can encounter intimacy with Jesus in a beautiful way. That's the beautiful thing about Easter. Amen? It's the beautiful thing about Easter You can encounter him in the basic moments of life, but, but you need something. Intimacy cannot happen no matter how hard you try unless you are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. It helps you to get to a deeper level of intimacy that you will never, you never can before. Have you ever had those moments when, you know, you're, you're praying and you really struggle through it? I've been there. Right? Have you ever been through those moments when you're reading the Bible and you're just thinking about eight different things as you're reading it and you're just like, okay, well, you know, I try, but it's really not much. What's important is this. You could pray, you could read the Bible, but then they become like chores. So what's really needed? It's being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. You have to learn to get to a place in your spiritual life where you're praying regularly that God would fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit because when he does that, guess what? The Bible is very different. It actually speaks to you. You begin to hear from God as you read the words, as you learn more about him. As you pray, guess what will happen? You begin to receive, you begin to listen and hear God. People, a lot of people have said, Peter, how do you hear God's voice? You really can't describe what it's like. You just, you just know. You just know. But the filling of the Holy Spirit is so critical. Jesus told the disciples, don't even go out until you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at what he says in verse 49 of Luke chapter 24. Verse 49 of Luke chapter 24. This is after he comes and he's with them, right? And they want to just go out now. They want to tell the whole world what happened because this is miraculous. And what does Jesus say? He says, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Jesus says, you are not ready. I know you have a great heart, all that stuff, but until the Holy Spirit fills you with its power, you cannot go out and do ministry properly. Think about the disciples for just a moment. They were doubters. They were afraid. They were hiding in a home. And then once they were filled with the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, they leave and they no longer doubt, but they do amazing, bold things for Jesus Christ. They were beaten to death, They're put in prison, and what happens? They still grow in greater intimacy with God, and God still used them. And the reason why you and I have to pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit, because you cannot be truly intimate with God unless God is using you to expand his kingdom. You can't. 
Some people, you think you can. Listen, um, if you want intimacy just so that you know that you're loved by God and that's all you want, guess what? God's really not going to be intimate with you. Because Christian life is more than that. Christian life is more than just your happiness. Happiness is overrated. It really is. Because the one moment you're happy, the next moment you're sad. It's really overrated. It's about having peace in your heart and in your life. And that peace happens when you're willing to surrender yourself to God and also pray that God will fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit. So you can do what? So you can demonstrate his power. God wants to use you to demonstrate his power. Why did Jesus tell the disciples to wait? Because they didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit yet. And once they had it, he wants to use you to demonstrate the power of Jesus. You know what this is like? See, theologically, every single one of us, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. All of you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. That's true. But the problem for a lot of us is this. We've never taken it for a test drive. You've never accessed its power. It's like having a beautiful Ferrari in your house, parked in your driveway. You have the keys to, you own it but you never get in there and go for a ride. Maybe because you're afraid of its power. You're afraid that you might get a speeding ticket because, I mean, Ferraris are fast, right? And so that, maybe it's because you're afraid that you might draw too much attention. You don't like when people look at you, right? Listen, when I see a Ferrari on the road, 100%, I always look. I'm not just, you know, it's not like looking at a Volkswagen. I look. And maybe you don't want that attention. You don't want people to look at you. Like, I don't know if I want to drive that thing. Maybe you've never learned how to drive a stick, because I think Ferraris, you can only drive it with a stick shift, whatever it might be. And for a lot of you, if you say you believe in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And my question to you is, why not take it for a ride? Why not access it? Why not pray and say, God, would you fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit? Because look how different the apostles were once they were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, think about Peter. Think about how many times he failed. He said, hey, I, even if I have to die, I won't deny you. And he denies him, right? And then Jesus dies, and he's sad that he denied him. Jesus dies, and then he runs away, and he hides in a house. And then all of a sudden, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter's leading thousands and thousands of people to Jesus Christ. He's raising people from the dead, healing the sick. It's not him that's doing it. It's the spirit that lives in him that's doing it. So I want to encourage you. Will you be open to praying every day that God would use you to demonstrate his power. Would you pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit? Because that's all you need to do. Some of you are like, how do you do this? It's not that hard, but it's very hard. It's kind of an oxymoron, like a yin and a yang. All you have to do is pray every day. Say, God, would you fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit? That's the easy part, but the hard part is this. You just have to learn to be courageously obedient. Because a lot of us, what do we get so caught up with? God, is this you or is this me? God, I hate to be wrong on this one. Like, I don't know if you're telling me if I should maybe pay for somebody's grocery because they don't have the money. I don't know if you should, is it you or is it me that I should pray for this person because they're sick? And sometimes we're so concerned about being wrong, we don't want to do what's right. And all I will tell you this from personal experience, when you're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, you will make a lot of mistakes, and it's okay. God is in those mistakes, and you can learn. But you've got to be willing to be filled with the Holy Spirit and pray that God would allow you to be used to demonstrate his power. Listen, people will come to know Jesus Christ, yes, through the proclamation of the word. But it's also going to happen as we demonstrate his power. So every day I pray for him. This is how I pray. I pray this every day. I prayed it before I came here to church today. I say, Holy, I said, Jesus, will you fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit? 
I pray you would give me maximum amounts of spiritual authority today so that when I preach, people's lives could be transformed. My words would carry a lot of weight. But also, God, that you would use me, that if you would use me to pray for somebody who's sick, that they would be healed. Every sickness, every disease, every physical issue would be healed today. And God, that you would use me to cast out evil spirits, every evil demonic spirit that's out there. And then I end my prayer with this. As long as my character and my intimacy with you can sustain it. Because if my character, my intimacy with you cannot sustain it, don't use me. But if it can, will you please use me? Will you please use me? Because people need a demonstration of God's power. People who truly are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, they look at scandalous things and they, that becomes fuel for them to go deeper with God. Sometimes I feel like when people encounter hardships in life and they kind of become discouraged and they walk away from their faith in God, it's really a sign that they're not intimate. They lack intimacy with Jesus. And so how do we kind of protect ourselves? You gotta make sure that, uh, that you, everything you do, no matter, even though you say you're filled with the Holy Spirit, is in line with the Bible. People who are truly filled with the power of the Holy Spirit are truly living lives that are congruent with the Bible, in harmony with the Bible. That has to be key. Make sure you do that to check yourself. But also, I think what's really key is that you pray every day that you're filled. Paul says, don't be filled with wine. He says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's something that he wants from us. And when we do that, we'll access the power of God in such a way we'll grow in deeper intimacy with him and the things that we struggle with, the scandalous things, the stumbling blocks will become opportunities for us to engage deeper in it and grow deeper in our faith and our belief in Jesus Christ. That's the story of Easter. That's how God will join you on your road to Emmaus to come alongside of you to help you to grow as you see that the scandalous things is actually the thing that's gonna help you to grow in your faith and you ask God and pray that he will fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit. A year ago, I finished up my discipleship group. I do a leadership development group every year, and about 17 of them were there. One of the things that I have everyone do is share a lifeline. A lifeline is like a, a life confession. And uh, every lifeline is so precious and they're special, but uh, one of them I'll, I'll never forget. Uh, her name is Nicole. Nicole gave a lifeline that was so scandalous and yet so powerful. I remember when the class was over, I called her and I said, Nicole, would you ever be willing to maybe share that one day on a video platform? And she said, yeah, I think I would be able to do that one day. And we did. A couple months ago, we actually recorded her sharing a bit of her story. And I want you to watch Nicole's story, her scandalous story that eventually led her to Jesus. My father's obsession with my weight, to me, I, I don't remember a time where I haven't been impacted by it. Like, it seemed to be immediate upon my birth. My mom told me the story of like, especially once they split up, she was saying, oh, your father, do you even know what he's like? Like, I don't think you understand what he's really like. When you were a baby, he didn't want you to drink milk. And I confronted him about it when I was like 19 or so, 20. And he was like, that's not what I said. What I said was, you should be drinking skim milk. Okay, that's what I said. Whole milk is fattening. It didn't feel like he was doing it for my good. It felt like he was doing it because there was something about me that bothered him that much. It felt like he had to compensate for something. And I was supposed to do that job for him. And I wasn't doing it. Wherever there's a, a child of a clergyman or clergy person, there's going to be pressure. And 
In my instance, my father is the father of a Pentecostal church. He's Pentecostals are not easy. And they have a very rigorous kind of doctrine. So whatever you do, it's not just like good versus evil or like if you were corrupt or this or that. It's like, how long is your hair? Okay, but you wore this skirt or you're wearing sneakers. So when I was about 11 or 12, I had come back from Puerto Rico. And I remember he picked us up from the airport and he was like, wow, you're even bigger than the last time I saw you. So he became determined to make me, not help me, make me lose weight. So he signed me up for a membership at Bally Total Fitness, but he was never there. Like he would go, okay, go on, scan your ID card and let me know when you're done. I'll be here or I'll be in the car. It's like, what? I'm 12, sir. Like, and because I had been so scrutinized for my weight my whole life, I would see people staring at me in this gym. And I'm like, oh my God, he's right. I'm the fattest thing on earth. Oh my God, these people are staring at me because they're disgusted and they're just laughing at me for even trying to lose weight right now. No, what they're laughing at is the fact that some idiot left their 12 year olds in a gym by herself, weightlifting. It never crossed his mind that I was a kid. Birthdays were more like a church event. Like this is just a, a formality, kind of like the royal family. Like you just go in front of everyone. This is your cake. You pretend to like it. You cannot eat it. But that was, that was birthdays every year. And I remember one year I asked him, can I please just, can we please just not? And he was like, fine, whatever. I would promise, and he just nodded. The next Sunday, after my birthday, I see that there's a cake box on his desk. Again, in a normal family, maybe that's not a big deal that you see a cake box on your father's desk, but this time, I saw it and I kind of ran. At the next service, he made me give a public apology for my behavior, for not having celebrated my birthday, like, how dare you, these people, they love you and they wanted you to celebrate with them. And it's like, hi, it's not about me celebrating with them. It's about them celebrating with me. I don't know these people. After high school and after the whole debacle with the birthday cake, I decided to leave my dad's church and I just left and didn't look back. Throughout my life, I knew who God was. And I was always fed this idea that he was a being who didn't like a lot of things. I didn't hear a lot about what he did like or about who he did love. And so when I was 24, I was going, I was still going to college. I was in my last year of college. And, you know, I was making friends from different backgrounds in the Christian faith. And my friend Chris, he would regularly go to this um, church. And I remember going there and it was just so organic and everyone really, felt like they knew who God was and that God knew who they were. And I sat through the service and everything was just, if made sense all of a sudden. When I was in that building at that moment, that was the first time I felt that God felt that I mattered. And it was revolutionary. I had never been exposed to that idea before, especially because my own father who taught me everything that I knew about God reflected that idea of a God who was disinterested, just apathetic, because he expressed that in his own fatherhood. So I didn't have an idea until that very moment that maybe love was real. 
and God was the definition of it and he loved me and he cared about what I had been through and what I would go through in the future and where he wanted me to go. And it was all of a sudden, it felt like the world opened up and the possibilities were endless. I started coming to Metro in 2019. Before that, I had been kind of bouncing around different churches trying to find what felt right. And I wasn't having a lot of luck. The second I walked in here, I knew it. I was like, I like it here. It feels really warm and authentic and nothing like what I grew up with. It doesn't feel like a royal family affair. It doesn't have the, the bishops in fancy dress and the fancy suits and the, the noses high in the air. It's just everybody just being normal and loving God together and loving each other. And I know I couldn't leave. <laughs> Metro is that kind of community of people who love each other so much and love God so much that they see the best in each other. And when they see the bad things in each other, even they try to support each other through that. And this is a, it's such a healthy atmosphere that I've never seen before. I've dealt with mental illness and stuff since I was a literal child. And this is one of the few times where I've been virtually symptom free. So it's, it's great. It's it's opening up a lot of possibilities in my mind for me as to where I could go. I never really thought about my future before. And especially being in a place like Metro where people are like, ooh, you're a good writer or you're a good singer. Have you tried this? Have you tried that? I never thought about trying things because I could like propel myself into a future before. And my depression and anxiety and even my Asperger's have always kind of dictated my life and dictated who I am. And now I kind of realize that I don't have to let it dictate anything. Like I am what I am and everything else is just circumstantial. I am Nicole and I happen to have depression. I'm Nicole and I happen to be on the autism spectrum and that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean that I have to follow the rubric of those things. It doesn't mean that I have to try not to be those things. It's, I'm in a better place now. And that's not to say that I won't relapse and I won't go back down again because it happens. But when I do relapse, if I do relapse, I know that I won't be alone, that I'll have a community of people who love me. And I know that I won't have to pick myself up. I've already discovered a God who has picked me up and dusted me off and shown me off to other people so that they can witness my life as a testament to his goodness. So I don't have to worry about doing anything alone from now on. And I think that's as good as it gets.